Welcome to Poop Bags and Other Necessities, a podcast all about dogs for dog lovers, brought to you by the mother-daughter breeding, training, and coaching team of Rebecca Pinkston and Suzanne Shelton. I'm Suzanne Shelton, and I hope you'll join us as we talk about all aspects of the dog world, from the light and funny to the intense and in-depth. Anyway, so we're going to talk today about getting your dogs out in public Mm -hmm. and being confident doing that. And I think also the dogs being confident doing that um, is important as well. Mm -hmm. So, and, and frankly, it's such a challenging subject for me because we live in a fairly rural area. Sure. So when we go, well, you've been here. So Mm -hmm. if we go to town, um, we can still expect pretty low population of people. Maybe we'll see dogs. Maybe we won't. Um, You know, we have to go into Tulsa if we actually wanted to look for um, like an urban area to walk around in. But there are more people that live in urban areas. Mm Mm-hmm. Or they live on the outskirts of an urban area yeah. where they may be in the sprawl. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they can just go into nature easily. <laughs> um, it's a trade-off. It's a, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's such a broad subject because my idea of going into town, you know, is walking through the feed store with my mm-hmm. dogs. Someone yeah. else might be going to Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. seeing more people in Central Park than live in my my city. Yeah. So I I think that's a that's a real challenge, <laughs> and I think it goes to the big question that we all have to have. You know, what is when we get a puppy? What do we want that puppy to be able to do? So when you got Jamie, so if you could <laughs> just tell everybody about Jamie, yes, and, and how you went about deciding what you wanted him to be able to do because he's done amazing things. <laughs> he has. And I think it it comes back to the kind of the individual person's lifestyle and what they perceive will be their lifestyle for the life of the dog. Now, of course, we can't predict everything that's going to happen to us over the, you know, 10 to 15 years that our dogs are going to be, you know, in our lives. But if we think think through like, what do I want my dog to be um, capable of doing with me from, you know, puppyhood through adulthood, Um, kind of the list that I made when I was getting Jamie and my, my journey to make him, you know, the best dog to fit into that actually started before I brought him home in um, looking for a breeder that was uh, breeding and selecting dogs that were capable of doing all the things, uh, and then looking for an individual dog that was going to be equipped for that as well. Uh, and looking for the characteristics that set him up for success in those, those pieces. So, uh, that's an, I think a really important point, uh, that some people miss. I get calls sometimes like I have, I adopted this dog from the shelter and, I want them to do all the things with me, but, oh, they're scared of their shadow. They're scared of coming out of my house. Help me, you know, fix that. And certainly there's things that we can do, but I think also selecting the dog that's going to be best fit for your lifestyle is a, is a key important piece. Yeah. I think that's, 
uh, really important. And it's so heartbreaking when there's such a disconnect. I, I had a client yes. once, a training client who did have a German shepherd that she got from rescue. And these were the most social and gregarious people that I think I've ever met. I mean, they worked in office. They loved their office. They were friends with everybody from their office. They had a dog friendly office. Then they would come home after work and they wanted, they, they would, you know, change clothes and they would literally go back out. They would go to family's house. They would (laughs) go out to activities, et cetera. And their idea of the worst time you could have would be just staying at home alone. Yeah. And the dog that they adopted was a a dog with chronic, severe, untreated anxiety disorder. And she was a a, a mature set adult. She's not a puppy. So she's been this way for years. And this dog's hell on earth was leaving the house. (laughs) And, you know, they are taking her everywhere and she's becoming aggressive. And, you know, they take her to daycare every day and she sits in a corner with her head smashed into the corner. And, um, you know, I remember distinctly that, you know, I, I said to them at one point, this this dog is probably not happy. Mm-hmm. When you drag her to your large, raucous family yeah, in the evenings after a full day of hiding in the corner at daycare. Yeah. And, you, you know, the woman, the mom just burst out crying. Mm-hmm. It was that traumatic to her to think of leaving the dog at home. Yeah. Because she couldn't imagine it. Yeah. Herself, right? She couldn't imagine anything worse than being left home while everybody else was out. Mm-hmm. And so... I, there's, there's only so much that can be done. And I think that the idea that you sort of stack the deck in your favor. Absolutely. When you choose a dog that has the capability, you're, you're hoping it doesn't mean you're going to win the game, so to speak, just because you have picked a good hand, but the odds are so much better. Absolutely. And And you have not going to be a bumpy road either. Right. Um, Because every dog is their own individual. But I can't think, I don't think it can be stated strongly enough that when your lifestyle and the dog's um, adaptabilities match. Yeah. Then everybody is so much happier. Yes, 100%. I, I, especially like if you, you know, envision doing all of the, all of the things, uh, and it goes the other way too. If you don't want to do all the things and you have a dog that wants to do all the things, then there's right. going to be some disconnect there too. Exactly. Uh, but there's, you know, if you envision a life in which you want to be out doing all the things and you want your dog to be along, like so many of us do, we, we absolutely need to stack the deck in our favor whenever possible, uh, because it just, it makes it so much easier and so much happier of a training process, uh, less, less pain points and for both you and the dog. Right. Cause the dog can't say in, in English to you, (laughs) Yes, you know, boy, I don't enjoy this. Yeah. You know, they will do their best to get through the situation. But um, it if you're not a keen observer of dogs, 
it can be difficult to know that the dog is really just not having the same experience you are. Right. And the reverse is also, I think, really, really important. You know, if you are a person who likes to be alone and likes to do things in a solitary way and likes to be at home and puttering around the garden and maybe going to the trails, but when no one's there, then, you know, a dog that um, has an energy level that's in line with, with your hobbies and lifestyle is going to be so much happier for everybody. Yes. Um, it, sure. it really, it, it really is um, so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, when we're well-matched. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, so with Jamie, I knew I wanted a, a dog that was confident, a dog that was uh, exhibiting behaviors that indicated that he was open to new experiences, uh, willing to explore, willing to make friends with different people, different dogs, different types of species. So his breeder had, um, you know, horses and and cats and other uh, animals that he was familiar with interacting with before I brought him home. And uh, I also looked for characteristics like, how does he feel with a, a new person coming in? I asked the breeder a ton of questions about uh, how his, his behavior in general. Was he the wallflower puppy or was he the uh, let's go, you know, be the greeting committee puppy and kind of used those uh, those information points to determine like, is he going to enjoy the type of things that I have in mind uh, for, for our life together? And it was a, it was a good match. So that uh, set us up for success when I did bring him home and then uh, we could jump right into like early training and socialization and, uh, and conditioning him to think that those things were, were super fun and exciting. Yeah. So let's talk about that because yeah. I think one thing I loved about watching you raise Jamie because you were so good about sharing video and, and, and talking about what, you know, what y'all were doing together. Yeah. That, you know, things didn't phase you. You didn't (laughs) get him and think, well, I've, I've got this delightful, confident puppy that has the potential to be everything I want him Mm -hmm. to be. And now I'm expecting it, him to be just perfect, (laughs) you know, from the beginning, because I can remember a video of him kind of alarm barking. Yes. (laughs) Completely age appropriate time. Yes. Yes. And I think so often um, people get so discouraged Mm -hmm. so early on in a dog's life. Yeah. But so I want to talk about sort of or I want you to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, how did that process go? How did you adapt to what he was doing at the moment? How did you decide where to start? What did that process look like for him? Sure. It, well, it looked like one just kind of going to a lot of different environments in a way that wasn't forcing anything on him. So we did a lot of observe and learn type routines at first where we just went and sat at a distance from crazy things that were happening and he chose the distance. So we would uh, go closer if he was feeling confident or we'd go farther away if he was um, 
a little concerned. And right. whenever we encountered something that he was a little concerned about, and if you go on my YouTube video, uh, YouTube channel, you can find, uh, I think it's puppy recovers from a startle is the name of the video. And it's the most adorable, um, scream that, that we call it his, <laughs> his banshee scream where it, when he would get startled, um, and then this particular video that, uh, we re are referencing, it was by a big statue of a ram and he saw it and had a puppy age appropriate meltdown when mm -hmm. he would get startled. Um, I did a couple of things. I mean, really sure that we did it. Um, go closer to the thing that he was struggling about. He, and I think this is for the, you know, he struggles and his first instinct is to towards the, the scary statue, not in a like straight towards, but kind of like, I want to circle and and I made a point to kind of freeze in place and even cut my distance and bring him report. I didn't want the behavior. I scream at something, get a information, and feel better about it. Then this is behavior pattern. So instead, he screams. I said, "Okay, now we're gonna go back. We're gonna back away, and we're gonna until you feel more comfortable." And then when we were more closer, behavior like, oh, "I hate a treat. Okay, I can sniff in the grass. Okay, I can look at the ram statue without." screaming then we get to go in closer and get more information um and so it it kind of helped him to uh learn those kind of self-soothing and coping strategies or just you know rush up close to determine that oh this is just a piece of metal and i don't have to be scared it was like i don't need to be to be demonstrating these behaviors in order to feel better about the situation right uh, so that was a really key piece. Uh, and then just being willing to, to allow different uh, developmental periods to, you know, contain different, you know, there were some uh, things that we would walk by, you know, four or five times. And then this time he would say, now I, I'm reading about today being like, oh, get over it. It's, you've seen this 20 times already. Why are you screaming? Like, okay, so today your information, your behavior is giving me information that this is alarming to you. So let's take our time to work through this. I know it was alarming yesterday and it might not be alarming, tomorrow, but today, for whatever reason, we're going to, we're going to work through this and um, really support him and whatever his feelings were, <laughs> were in that particular moment. Right. Cause puppies can, can have these really out of the blue yes responses to things and it 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 doesn't indicate that their emotion in that moment which is almost always alarm mm -hmm. isn't valid right you know they're experiencing it it's it's valid ignore it at your peril yes um <laughs> yes so and 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 then the fact that you built for him a framework for how to handle it yes so yeah. that as he as he matured and, and comes forward, he has a way yes. to um, to address startling situations. And I think the mm -hmm. most important part, of course, to that whole scenario that you described, that framework that you gave him was it it's built around the idea that he can retreat or go forward. Yes. And I think we uh, very often you know, we want to sort of 
encourage the puppy just to go. If you'll just go sniff this, you will see that it is a chunk of metal. Right. And you'll feel better because that's logical to me mm-hmm. as but- a person. But there's tremendous um, power in the idea and the skill of being able to retreat from something. Right. And, and if, we're, if we're prematurely encouraging our pups to go up and check something out and we're getting a bunch of kind of creeping mm-hmm. concerned behaviors wrapped up into that sequence, then yep. we're, we're essentially like building the routine that, okay, when you're scared about something, we, we creep up to it and we're ready to retreat at a moment's notice. And that's yep. not the, the behavior sequence that I want my adult dog demonstrating when they're going up to a new person or a new thing that's scary. I want them being like, oh, I can run up and sniff this. And I'm super confident and happy to do so. And as a, as a puppy, they haven't learned that skill yet. And so I want to make sure that they're, you know, by retreating first, they have the opportunity to reset, uh, level out some of those initial startle emotions and then approach the thing with a lot more confidence. And it looks more like the picture that I want my adult dog doing, um, at that point. Yeah. That's so interesting to me, that idea that sort of, we, you know, we can observe the external movements yeah. of the dog and say to ourselves, is this what I want it to look like when this dog is an adult? Yeah. You know, what do I want it to look like? It's, it's so simple, Amber, that, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. this isn't what I want it to look like. So I'm going to retreat, let my puppy mm-hmm. um, have a minute to take yeah. a breath. And we're going to evaluate sort of where he's at. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to see, you know, if we can structure and build this slightly differently. And, you know, yeah. Jamie is a tiny dog. <laughs> yes. He's on, so he's just, just a minute of a dog. <laughs> With large breed dogs, yeah. um, especially large breed dogs that are designed through selective breeding, to become aggressive when they are suspicious. Yeah. Which is a very strong instinct in a lot of working breeds, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. Uh, and even some herding breeds, mm-hmm. because the initial response of suspicion is often what precedes the cow kicking you in the head. Right. Um, or the ram ramming you with his head so and how do we control that before it happens like exactly we have to I mean you have to do it without thinking right but there's no time to think um so I think for you know for German shepherds for example uh people are often tempted because their food drive and their toy drive is is so high Mm -hmm. to do things like throw food to the base of the statue yeah or play ball with the dog by the statue Mm -hmm. and the the problem with that is sometimes it actually masks yeah. that the dog is still uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And two, the dog never learns how to deal with their being uncomfortable short of becoming super hyper aroused. Right. And that is exactly what you don't want when your adult German shepherd is vicious. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And how, you know, how kind of can. Cons- 
reluctant we are about that pattern, like, oh, I have to creep up to get this food and then I'm still uncomfortable. So now I'm darting away or I'm using a bigger behavior like a bark or a snap or a growl to get my distance that I still need. And now we're in close proximity to the thing that we're scared of instead of, you know, 10 feet away. And it can just kind of snowball (laughs) from there. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing just basically you're almost in a situation then where you, you can't have a good extraction, right? You can't salvage this at this point. Um, you, so I think the idea of, uh, letting the dog have space, Mm -hmm. um, is so important space to make movements, space to make decisions, facilitating those movements. And then I love the idea of having in your mind, what do I want this Mm -hmm. to look like in my adult dog? And how can we practice that now? What increment of that could we practice now? I think Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's, that's really helpful. And it's, it's, it's a nice visual Mm -hmm. because it's very easy in my mind. I'm thinking to myself now, oh, I can just compare is Mm -hmm. what the puppy's doing, what I want to see the adult doing. Mm -hmm. And if not, let's retreat and (laughs) read. Reset <laughs> and and maybe think about a baby step into mm-hmm. um, a, a framework that I'm that I've, I'm going to keep uniform. Right. And I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, with our baby puppies, sometimes the behaviors that they're doing to, you know, express needs to get distance can be a lot. They're a lot cuter than right. an adult dog doing it. And so Jamie's. Yep puppy banshee scream, it would have been so easy for us to just be like, oh, isn't that adorable? Look, he's so tough. He's, you know, taking on this big statue and oh, it's okay, blah, 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 and then move on. But recognizing that, okay, this, uh, this scream, this banshee scream may be adorable now. And we might think it's cute, but as a, you know, as an adult dog, this is not going to be as cute or innocent of a, of a behavior. And um, even more significant with uh, a large working breed um, as well. I mean, I'm a big proponent of we need to treat our small dogs like we would treat a German Shepherd. And if we wouldn't let a German Shepherd do it, we shouldn't let our small yeah. dogs do it either. Um, exactly. But certainly because the... they are dogs. They're, they're all dogs yes. in the end. Yes. <laughs> so um, little dogs, I think, get their autonomy trampled on more. Absolutely. Um, as do really cute dogs. Yes. Um, I think they often don't have as much space in their lives for being dogs and exhibiting um, the full range and breadth of their dogness, so to yeah. speak, Absolutely. which is a, a unique challenge. I think the the bigger, more natural or more, quote unquote, intimidating breeds um, often get a lot more privileges mm-hmm. in that regard. You know, people yeah. listen to them yeah. um, because you can't just scoop them up and tuck them in your purse and be like, oh, well, whatever. Right. Um, We could do a whole, I think we could talk for hours about small dog and and big dog nuances. It's fascinating to me. It's hard to be a little dog. (laughs) It is. I have nothing but sympathy. I had a men pin when I was younger and he, you know, I had a Doberman at the same time and we did a lot of this. I did a lot of the same things with Mm -hmm. both dogs and, and, um, but there, there is, I think, and also the really cute dogs. There's a, a decaninization of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That 
um, always bothers me a little because I feel like it's disrespecting of the, of the, of the dog, you yeah. know, he's, he is a dog and mm-hmm. he's going to do doggy things and, um, he should, he should do yeah. doggy things the, the, the size or how adorable he is or what his haircut is, um, should not preclude that. So okay. as Jamie got older, then mm-hmm. sort of, how do you, how did you plan out? Did you take <laughs> it based on, boy, this is what he's doing today. So this is what we're going to be working on. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a, a, a set of skills that you were like, I know this dog is going to need to be able yeah. to do this. Um, all, both of the things. So we kind of had our kind of exposure socialization experiences really emphasizing that new things were normal. Uh, and then we also had our skill building, the things that uh, he, I wanted him to be a dog. And we, you know, worked on those in age appropriate increments. So uh, for a lot of our kind of urban adventures, I needed him to have a really good settle on a mat skill uh, for different different contexts. And so we, we started working on that very, at a very young age, but in, um, gradually increasing the difficulty. So I didn't expect him as a, as a five month old puppy to have a four minute downstairs on his mat, but we worked on building value on settling on the mat, building, uh, some distractions in there. So like, can you stay on the mat while I, um, you know, move a chair around or, uh, pick up a backpack or do, you know, just kind of other household things. So building early expectations for reinforcement of, of those behaviors around different scenarios, uh, coupled with, uh, different, types of environments that we would go to. And through adolescence, I, uh, every dog has a slightly different progression. There's no, you know, exact formula to an adolescence, but we can pretty much count on that a, a puppy may see some kind of, we could call it a regression in some of their skills or, um, exposure as exposure to other things happens in tandem with their developmental period of adolescence, they get more independent from from their humans and so may have other priorities sorting through their brain like, oh, suddenly other dogs become way more interesting um, than they were in early puppyhood, that sort of thing. And so with Jamie, when I started to see some of those changes, uh, so I think around like nine months old, we did an adventure that up to that point, he had been very successful at being um, able to focus on me, able to play. And then, you know, at nine months old, he saw another dog across the field and said, I cannot think, I cannot eat food, I cannot do anything else because <laughs> that other dog suddenly is the most exciting and interesting thing to me. And so when we saw that, I kind of immediately just said, okay, this is adolescence development coming out. We're going to dial back our difficulty in this type of context so that we can get those like eating behaviors and focusing on me behaviors. So instead of the dog being, you know, 30 feet away, we're going to do it with the dog a football field away. Um, And we didn't stay there forever, but we kind of course corrected on some of those adventures when we hit adolescence so that we were still getting the behavior picture that I wanted as an adult dog, but that just meant we had to dial back our difficulty a bit um, in order for him to be successful there. Yeah, I think that starting from a point of success, that's mm-hmm. that's something that Alexandra Curlin 
talks about a lot. And I, yeah. I think it's so overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, we want to go right into where the problem is happening. I know yeah. I do. I want to get into where the problem is happening. And that's, you know, partly because uh, that's how we did it in the old days, mm-hmm. right? We would get jump right into the problem and just like a bull in a china shop think we yeah. were fixing it. Right. Um, and I think, though, the skill of being able to find that point of success, wherever mm-hmm. it is, and then building um, outward from there yeah, is just so much more effective and more fun, frankly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and something that's so important in adolescence, because, again, people get so discouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're, when they're working with their dog and, and they hit these very age appropriate, very predictable to us, Mm -hmm. right. As people that have raised a lot of dogs or that have trained a lot of dogs have had hands on and eyes on, you know, just a ton of dogs to us, it's predictable. Right. But to the average pet owner, I think they just are, they they can be completely shocked. Mm -hmm. And they start. My, my puppy could do this a week ago. Why can't they do it today? He's so stubborn. Right. You know, he's just um, this. He's, and then the labels start coming out because mm-hmm. they don't have a, an explanation other than the labels that they have been taught by pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's important, I think, at those times to, you know, get support and get help. So someone can say to you, oh, listen. It's normal. Yeah. Um, Don't be discouraged. Find a point of success and work outward in small points of success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you'll get there. You Mm -hmm. know, you'll you'll get there. I mean, yes, there are going to be dogs that are going to ceiling out in what they're capable of doing or handling Mm -hmm. around puberty. Yes. Um, And there are going to be some dogs that are going to develop behavioral issues around puberty, just like some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can affect what they're going to be capable of doing later. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that goes to sort of reevaluating goals based on, you know, where the dog is now. Right. Um, and getting help when you need it. Mm-hmm. So. And not letting the behavior continue to be reinforced or, or rehearsed by putting the dog in the situation over and over and over again. Um, when I see any adolescent dog, like, you know, I think Jamie, um, in one context, like at 10 months old had had a great recall puppy recall up to that point. And then at 10 months old saw something, um, when he, we were in an off leash context and raced over to it, didn't listen to my recall cue that up to that point had been pretty puppy, puppy solid. I wouldn't say it was right. a, a finished recall, but, um, and it surprised me in that moment. And I said, okay, so now we're going to not let this behavior get rehearsed over and over again. We're going to go back on our long line management for a couple months. We're going to rebuild our recall in the context of these new valuable distractions. And uh, so we had one rehearsal of not listening to our recall versus 25 rehearsals before we adjusted course. And that, um, you know, applies to a lot of things, especially when we're talking about an urban environment. I think 
we, um, especially with different, you know, guidance on early socialization times, you know, maybe we've waited to get the puppy out until they're fully vaccinated or um, whatever's the recommendation given. And then we get them out and now they're starting to get into those early adolescent behaviors. And we think now it's time to, you know, all the places and do all the things and they're just, re- you know, overwhelmed behaviors. Yep. Yeah, on repeat, instead of having had the opportunity to like work up to things slowly in controlled, safe environments where they're rehearsing the behaviors that we want, even if it doesn't, even if the environment doesn't look like the final picture that we want, maybe we're outside of the, um, the brewery patio instead of on it. That's not the picture that we want eventually, but the behavior is what we want from our dogs. And, exactly. and then we can work on increasing the difficulty of the environment. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, you know, the old saying, what you do is what you do. Yeah. And, and the more, and it applies to people and, and animals mm-hmm. and non-human animals, I guess, dogs, people and dogs, you know, so what they're doing they're they're going to do in the future Mm -hmm. and if you don't like what they're doing or it's maladaptive then the more they do it the Mm -hmm. more you're guaranteeing they're going to continue to do it yes they almost at a point cease to have a choice Mm -hmm. They, they can't make another choice because they have this you know road that they have it's like when you were a kid or when i was a kid the path from the neighborhood to the community pool mm-hmm. was well worn, worn and wide. Yeah. <laughs> nobody walked off the path mm-hmm. and uh-huh. it's just there. It's, and that's how behavior is a lot. The, mm-hmm. the, the footfalls of previous repetitions of behavior wear a path in the brain and that's where everybody wants to walk. Yep. <laughs> and so you're, you're curating which is something Katie, Katie Sippel talked about a lot, mm-hmm. the idea of curating experiences mm-hmm. to practice the behavior that you want to see in the future so that when you have an adult dog, because Jamie's a young adult now, I would say mm-hmm. he, because these little dogs, they mature quite fast, but they also yep. have a really long, long adulthood. Yes. Because they're often not seniors, really, if, and often until they're 10, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're quite fit and they're, they're light and, um, they're quite young really yeah. as, as not everyone, of course, but as a 10 year old dog. Mm-hmm. So they have this really long, luxurious period of being adults. So, so he's come into being a young adult now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Sort of in the like he's like a, a person in their 20s <laughs> you know he, he's not quite in the full bloom of his 30s but <laughs> he's pretty fabulous he is fabulous so, so how are you because because he's traveled Europe with you yes and he uh, he's had a move you guys have moved and yes goes everywhere in in Colorado and lives the the Colorado lifestyle mm-hmm. um, he has all kinds of friends and activities I mean he is living the big life so yeah. how does that look like do you find that you're still 
teaching him new things? Is he is he cruising along on what he's learned and maintaining those habits? What's that look like now that, you know, he he's an adult? Yeah. So we're always learning new things, both me and him. Uh, but he does have some really like steady behaviors that I've come to count on, um, in lots of settings. So I would say the things we're still always learning and improving on, um, are his, uh, his ability to engage with me with, uh, actually with our leash walking behavior is something that we're continuing to work on. And I think that a lot of this, uh, I, I don't know. I'm still dissecting it, but in general, his leash walking behavior is, is pretty good. But when we're, I've noticed recently when we are going through crowded environments, uh, like going into um, an, an inside area that's crowded or going through like a crowded square, we, we spent quite a bit of time in Europe um, the last two years and um, there's, you know, town squares and things that, you know, people congregate in. And I've, I've noticed some sensitivity that he has there. And I think, so what I've kind of dissected for him is that it's seems to be kind of small dog insecurity about the, the, um, the amount of noise at his level, so to speak, not noise in the traditional sense, but like feet moving and carts being pushed and things, um, when they're, we're in a very densely populated area. And so I've been working both on, um, there's me as well. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And if I'm walking through a crowded area with him, like it's, it's a lot to focus on. And so we are, we're working on, breaking that down for both of us. So one, we are picking like smaller segments. So can, can you walk with me for 10 feet? We're both going to focus on this. And then, uh, we've been compromising by, uh, using some boost, which is our cue for, can I carry you, um, in those environments. And that has been really helping. I've seen a decrease in some of the, the pulling behavior I was seeing in those things, I think was like anxiousness. I need to get through this crowd quickly. Um, and so now we're like, can you walk with me and engage with me, you know, on a loose leash for 10, 15 steps. And then I'm going to pick you up and, and navigate us through this safely. So meeting him, um, halfway there has, I think really helped a lot. And, uh, most recently he went to clicker expo with me and we, he did really well in that environment. There was, you know, some crowded situations. We, uh, focused on, okay, can you walk with me? And then compromised by picking him up, uh, in that trained, uh, you know, opt-in way. And he, he's doing better with that. So we're still learning. We're still dissecting things that, you know, make us successful or not successful in these urban environments and, and creating a training plan around that, that meets his needs, uh, as well as my needs. But there's, you know, it just in general, his friendliness with different people and dogs, uh, is something I can count on in 99% of scenarios and his, uh, ability to communicate when he's not interested in saying hello, uh, is something that he's very, uh, rock solid in that I enjoy seeing his skills shine in those ways. And, uh, think back to all of the, the meticulous, like baby step work that we put in early on, um, that's paying off now in those ways. Yeah. I think that's, 
it's always, you know, when you see a dog like that, mm-hmm. that has learned that they, their communications have meaning. Yes. Value. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Yep. It's, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I love the idea that even though Jamie is quite small, you're not mm-hmm. just default grabbing him up yes. and putting him in the backpack or in mm-hmm. a purse or carrying him through yes. every situation without really sort of asking him yeah. um, if that's what he needs in, in that moment. Yes. You know, if he can, if he can practice a little bit of being mm-hmm. able to work um, yeah. and being on the ground, because those congested spaces are extremely hard for little dogs. Yes. Um, and even medium sized dogs, because mm-hmm. there are legs everywhere. Yes. And it, it blocks a lot of their vision. Even big mm-hmm. dogs, I think, can struggle with the congestion, but a big mm-hmm. dog can throw their shoulder into somebody, right? Right. <laughs> but, you know, I need a little space here. Um, if they get bumped, they're not flying, you know, five feet. Yeah. They're, they're really not. They're not, yes. they're not so much worried about, you know, being hurt. Right. Um, and if they've been empowered to use mm-hmm. their body, then they're perfectly capable of bracing themselves against someone that's not paying attention, bumping mm-hmm. them out of the way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my dog sometimes will smack somebody's hand with their nose, <laughs> um, you know, which yeah. definitely gets somebody a- attention and they, they think it's a s- soliciting petting and really the dog just wants to go by. Right. Um, but he needs your attention. First. Right. <laughs> so, Alert. Yeah. And, um, the snot on the hand is a, <laughs> you know, the common German shepherd way, I think of nicely saying, Hey. Could you please move over? Yeah. Can you just give me a little space here? But little mm-hmm. dogs can't do that. You know, right. they have limited ways of communicating um, yeah. unless they have an owner like you that is observing, right. Mm-hmm. And is, is working together with them as, as a team. So yeah. that's, it's always so nice to see that with, with any dog, frankly, mm-hmm. um, yeah. with and- little dogs in particular though, because I feel like they just get you know, they, they get handled so much like, um, like they don't have emotions about things. Right. And, oh, Jamie has plenty of, plenty of, uh, autonomy to feel all the feelings. And I've worked on him having ways to communicate those with me. That means he doesn't have to communicate those with the world at large. Right. Um, if he's like, I don't want this person petting me, he comes over and puts his paws up on my leg and I say, thank you. Have a nice day. And we move on versus, um, him having to take matters into his own hands. And I think building that autonomy into our dogs, the, the trust that their communication will be understood for the most part, not that we yep. have to get everything on the first try, but <laughs> we're going to make an effort to understand them and then an effort to meet their needs uh, in response to behaviors that we like and want to see more of. Right. Yeah. I think that's, um, I just think it's tremendously important that mm-hmm. idea and that skill, because it's a skill for us as, as owners Yes. Of being able to observe our dogs, have ways to communicate with them so they can say to us, you know, no, Mm -hmm. um, I I don't want I don't want this right now. And 
I don't want that person to touch me. I don't want them to pet me. I don't want that treat. I don't want Mm -hmm. the thing. Right. And um, there's a tremendous trust when the dog knows that we have their back. Right. When I think also looking at behavior as uh, and just understanding in general that behavior is purposeful for dogs. So in, in the loose leash walking example with Jamie, you know, because I know that generally he walks nicely by my side when I see him pulling and acting a little bit more like a kite on the end of my leash, Uh this is information for me that something has changed. And certainly it could be, there's a good smell over here and I must go smell it right now. But in, in the context of, you know, walking through, uh, an, an, urban environment that has a little bit more congestion. I've observed it happen, you know, repeatedly in that environment and then kind of concluded this is, this is a concerned uh, Mm -hmm. behavior. This is, this behavior is a result of a concerned feeling that he has about being, um, you know, in this environment. And what can I do to address that concern? Not just say, oh, well, let's, you know, correct the pulling um, and, you know, really make sure that he understands how to walk beside me in this environment. Like, how can we use that communication to, you know, improve our dog's well-being um, instead of you know, just focusing on the behavior? Hey, hey, hey dogs, 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 <laughs> there's a squirrel outside. Um, yeah, and I think that... That is so important. I want to just underline it because the behaviors that we see, it's so easy for us to think, throw some food around. It's so easy for us to think that the behavior is what we need to be focusing Mm -hmm. on. I need to fix this behavior. This is unacceptable pulling. Mm -hmm. And really what we should be thinking about first is, why is this dog who normally does X Mm -hmm. and that's his standard. Why is he doing Y? If, if he normally pulls like a freight train and I start walking him, (laughs) he stops pulling. (laughs) Yeah. What's the concern? This is no, I mean, yeah, it's it's like, Oh, he doesn't pull anymore. That's great. But why isn't he pulling? Mm -hmm. I train him not to pull and he's just stopped pulling. I wonder if he has pain. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's a metabolic problem and his mm-hmm. thyroid's low, or mm-hmm. or maybe there's something he's dreading mm-hmm. about this route that we're taking. Right. And so he's like a kid that's dragging his toes, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't want to doesn't want to go to school in the morning because there's a right, bully. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I love the this idea that we get so hung up that the dogs need to do what we taught them to do. Mm-hmm that we don't always look and see what the purpose right. of this behavior change, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's one thing if your dog pulls, cause you never taught him not to pull. Right. You don't mind it. When I had my men pen, he pulled and it, it didn't bother me a bit. I have my sure. Doberman and he didn't pull right. because I, you know, it was very annoying to be pulled mm-hmm. by it by a big dog. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, so it's one of those things. If the men pin had stopped pulling, that's relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> because I never trained him to not pull. I mean, outside of like, comp, you know, ring gate competition obedience that, that he was actually really good at. And, um, and I liked training him for that. But outside of that setting, he just 
you know, pulled on a leash. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that idea that, you know, we, we just give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and not view everything they do that annoys us as a personal insult to us. <laughs> yes. And it's hard. It takes uh, a lot of human effort to work on ourselves. And I'm not saying I'm always good at it. There's certainly times where, you know, we're walking and I'm like, Jamie, what's going on? <laughs> like, come on, let's just walk this way. Like it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but oh, yeah. I think recognizing that as like, oh, I'm not really, you know, my behavior brain isn't on. It's my human emotion yeah. brain that's on right now. Yeah. I'm not my best self in this moment. And right. that's, I mean, none of us are always our best self. And mm-hmm. And that's just life. But mm-hmm. uh, we can make a habit, too, of, of making the effort to, to meet them halfway. So yeah. let's talk about because, you know, I didn't actually know about the whole brewery dog culture <laughs> until y'all came out to my house and, and talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. One, because I don't I don't. I, I don't really drink mm-hmm. alcohol. Now I understand now there are a lot of non-alcoholic options that aren't foul. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, and I, and I'm not a particularly social person, but for <laughs> the social people of the world, yep. um, there, there are uh, breweries where you can take your dog predictably, like, you know, that mm-hmm. they, that they allow dogs there. So it's sort of like, going to a cafe that has an outdoor patio where you know Mm -hmm. that dogs are going to be allowed um, or in Europe where dogs are often allowed just right in the restaurant. Yes. Um, And so you actually have a program for that sort of real world training, but it's, it's, it's for pet owners that Mm -hmm. want to be, going to breweries with their dogs, or I would say even to cafes or any public place. Um, Here in town, for example, um, there are nights where you can take the dogs to the baseball game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and all kinds of fun activities that your dog can do when they have the skills to do that. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing is you actually have that program for instructors as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So the drink with your dog project is um, kind of three, has three main facets. Uh, The most uh, widespread popular facet is our brewery manners class for dog owners who want to take their dogs to uh, breweries, cafes, restaurants, you know, anywhere that the dogs are allowed. Like you said, it has wide ranging um, applications and we teach it in breweries uh, in our town and uh, it's actually replicated all around the country uh, through our, uh, the second facet of the Drink With Your Dog project, which is a, a certification course for dog trainers who want to teach brewery manners in their dog training programs. And so I have about um, last count, maybe 80 trainers around the country who have taken this course and are working on or are including brewery manners uh, in some capacity uh, for their local students. Uh, and then the third component of the Drink With Your Dog project is education for brewery staff. So the the employees and the teams who host dogs in their spaces, uh, we have an education course for them on uh, 
really um, how to read dog body language to the extent that they need to for their um, for their successful navigation of the brewery with dogs in it, how to interact with dog owners, maybe to redirect behavior to more appropriate uh, dog uh behaviors in the brewery if needed, how to essentially make sure their spaces can say dog safe and dog welcome for many years to come. And uh, so those three kind of components of the Drink for the Dog project are all about um, making more brewery-friendly and uh, more dog-friendly spaces around the country. And are you teaching something similar through uh, Karen Pryor Academy also? Yeah, I do have a new course coming out through Karen Pryor Academy this uh, spring that is Drink With Your Dog is the title and it's uh, for dog owners and it's going to be an online version of our Brewery Manners curriculum. So it's a little bit revamped from what we do in person. Um, We're going to be able to dive really deeply into several key skills um, like relaxation, like how do you progress from just a settle stay on your mat to your dog actually falling asleep and uh, turning uh, turning off completely while you're in the brewery. And uh, I'm really excited for that course coming out. Registration and is that not one will be, yet, but it will be coming soon. And that one's available to everybody. Yes, because wherever you are in it, the world. <laughs> yeah, it's a virtual class. So I think that's, that's super exciting. We'll be sure to update the show notes once you have a registration link for that too um and so that people can find that in addition to um, what you offer uh through summit because we Mm -hmm. have um a lot of neat stuff we're going to put in the show notes there and then people can contact you directly of course through um summit dog training you have a facebook page now are you also on the other socials, the young people socials. <laughs> we are on Instagram <laughs> and we do have talk uh, as well. And you can reach us through those as well. And of course, you've got some absolutely amazing videos on YouTube. Yes, we have quite. And if you want that, um, that startle video that we look, we were discussing that's on YouTube. So you can see, you know, I, how I work through with Jamie that, um, that particular experience. It's quite an interesting, um, and his scream is very funny. I love that video. I actually <laughs> send people that video from time to time because it's yeah. a great, um, step-by-step progression. And yeah, we'll put your YouTube channel on the show notes as well, of course. And people can find you in the um, Practical Dog Life Facebook group, which used to be called Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group. But all of our pandemic puppies are adults now. <laughs> so um, the, it, the group is now called uh, Practical Dog Life. They can find you through the Summit um, Facebook page. <laughs> Some puppies that are anxious to go to the pond <laughs> Digestion time is over yes. from <laughs> at my house. Uh, so I will let you go. Thank you so much. Thank for you for coming. having me. And I'm hoping to have you back again because uh, we always find such interesting things to talk about. Maybe yes. we can do a follow-up when your um, course is in progress. Yeah. And see how that's going and, and, and talk more in depth about that course that's 
going to be accessible to um, everybody virtually through Karen Pryor Academy. So yeah, I'd love uh, that. That would be really fun. And then maybe we can talk about small dogs. Yes, I would love that too. Yeah, I have lots you know, to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a very soft place in my heart for tiny dogs. And of course, we have beagles now. Um, and they're a small and stout <laughs> teapot so dog. So <laughs> anyway, thank you again. And I look forward to talking with you more in the future. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Bye-bye. Let's continue the conversation. You can find us in all the usual places on the internet at our dog training website, clickety-split-dogtraining.com, our German Shepherd website, austerlitzshepherds.com, and on Facebook on our Austerlitz Shepherds page, our Clickety Split Dog Training page, or in our group, Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group. <laughs>